live for another episode of First Strike. But before we start the show, I'm going to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Today we have an exciting episode. That someone, a team that just top four their most recent uh, GP in Toronto. We also brought back our boys, Andy and Derek, who both played in Toronto with much less success. But uh, we got we got Team Kratz, Bloom, and Robert Smith in the house. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Very good. Very good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us on the show. So actually, yeah. Rob, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing really well as also. So. <laughs> it's, it's funny how top four in GP will do that for you. <laughs> That's glad to hear. I actually uh, because I, I wanted to remember. It, I knew I had Tyler on. On one of my shows at some point, I didn't know it was recent or not. Turned out it was quite a while ago, three years ago, on the A team. Uh, you know, we we I remember asking his name, uh, how to pronounce his last name. I had to go back three years to check to double check. It was Bloom, and uh, lots lots of things have changed. And I understand people's jokes about me not talking much on shows because I didn't say a single word on that episode for the first twenty minutes. And uh, it was it was also great to hear Tyler. Um, wow, how things have changed! Because that's when you became GP champion. You were super excited, and then just hearing you and Jeremy Schofield, my my ex co host, talk about how you, know, you guys were surprised that you were signing signatures the day of autographs, and that Jeremy's like, "Yeah, people would ask me like even two weeks to sign autographs," and how psyched you were. So, uh, do you remember those times? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If you've never had anyone ask for your signature, um, I don't know, do something either crazy or famous because it's a rush. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's only happened to me that one time, and it was, uh, it sticks with you. But uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on any of your programs, so it's, I'm excited. Um, I, I'm glad, and. Uh, it- I recommend anyone to uh, search up your name for that episode because I only had time to listen the first 20 minutes, but it was really good to see how you ended up, you know, deciding between blue, white, mono, black, uh, devotion, and, and also uh, shout outs to Francis Francis Toussaint gets a name drop in those stories as well. So people will know them. Like there's some Alberta history in that show, especially with Jay and Jeremy being the lead co-host of that episode. Uh, so let's get down to this tournament. Um, how did the team get put together? I'll, I'll ask you, Jen. Oh, you should ask these guys because I don't know why they <laughs> asked me to join their team. <laughs> yeah, two former GP champions decided to ask someone who, who never made the Pro Tour yet but had aspirations, strong aspirations to make it and, and definitely uh, one of the people that we've name-dropped along with Chantal on the show uh, early on when we first got started. So, Tyler, how did this team come about? Um, well, so Robert and I have been a, a duo for years. Uh, we top Ford Grand Prix San Jose uh, as a team with uh, our teammate then was Sean Gifford. And then the next team Grand Prix we played in, we essentially lost our winning in in Kentucky. Um, it was about a year or two ago. Recently, anyway. Um, so we'd had a lot of success, like a top four, then lose a winning in. And Sean Gifford, unfortunately, uh, he's stepped away from the game, stopped playing. And so I always knew I was going to team with Rob. There was no question about that. He was going to be with me, but we had to figure out who our 
our new wingmate was going to be. Uh, and so at Grand Prix Seattle, we sat down and had a big conversation about who we thought the best choice would be. Um, and a lot of names were tossed around and, uh, we decided on Jen for a lot of reasons. We, we invited her. Um, we felt that she had the right attitude. She had the play skill that, you know, was up to a level that we wanted and that it would be a lot of fun. And she felt like the best candidate. And so we agreed and extended the invitation. Well, I can't help. I'm going to ask a lot of troll questions. Uh, (laughs) was, was Brian Jemba on that list? (laughs) <laughs> uh, um, his name was discussed but it, well he didn't make the cut I don't, I don't really know what to say <laughs> he did not make the cut well uh, Brian, Liam and Andre had already formed a pack to make their team for Toronto by, the, by that point so he was off the market no longer available yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just go with that answer then yeah um, on the topic of, of Sean Gifford, just had to, I'd mentioned to, I think, Jen and Brian there that uh, he actually wrote one of the most, even today, actively searched articles on managerprive.com just because of how it's titled and it gives you an idea of what people are actually Googling for when they're uh, looking for magic articles because how to play MTGO while being a cheapskate, um, I see it still getting all these views that people, even though it's likely extremely outdated, but it gives you an idea that people love finding out how to play MTGO on the cheap. So you got your teammates together. Uh, was it really easy to find out? Uh, we'll go to you, Rob, which format uh, each of you were going to play. Yeah, we were pretty set on the formats pretty early. Um, like Jen had been playing a lot more standard than either Tyler or I, because she's playing PPTQs. Um, and I mean, none of us are legacy players by any means, but I certainly played a lot more legacy than either Jen or Tyler. So, uh, yeah, I ended up with the job of playing legacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and was it, uh, Tyler, how, how did you end up uh, picking your decks ultimately? Uh, this is, it's really actually quite interesting. Um, we had a lot of discussion about it and Robert kind of picked a lot of aspects of it um, in his own way. So a big part of this format is predicting the metagame. And Robert and I actually flipped back and forth about what what deck we should play in terms of our play style. I tend to be a mid-range player. Robert is a little bit more on the aggressive end of the spectrum. Jen's pretty well-rounded. And so... We figured that most elite teams would play some sort of force of will deck in their legacy, and Robert was a legacy Els player, which traditionally has a good matchup against these force of will strategies. And then also in in modern, we felt that obviously kind of the the big three were a combination of humans, affinity, and Jund, and Mardu Pyromancer does exceptional against those, and I'm a mid-range player, and so Mardu Pyromancer was right up my alley. Um, and Jen's deck, we argued a lot about. We argued so much about that. But I think, again, it was probably Robert that kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, we talked actually a lot about the format and about what teams would play in that environment. Mm-hmm. So 
even though blue white is one of the best decks in the, in the form uh, in standard and one of the more highly played decks online i think it was i think it was robert that kind of pointed out that it would be difficult to play a blue white control deck in an environment where your play might be already slowed down a little bit so we we argued a lot about what we were going to play in standard i wanted to play green black these two said no well, yeah, in standard, in standard, Jen liked green black. Uh, Tyler liked Grixis, and I liked blue white control. But the other two people on the team hated all of those decks. So <laughs> our, our compromise was to play red black and like tune it to try and beat the mirror. Yeah, yeah. In my defense, my Grixis deck was literally red black with Spirit Gods instead of Glory Bringers. That was the only difference. It was a mistake. It was terrible. Ah! <laughs> It wasn't terrible, but it was not the best. Yeah, so we just took it from there. We took red, black, and we just basically tuned it um, to beat the other mid-range and aggro creature decks. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, what were your individual records? <laughs> I I didn't keep track. No, we. Um, I can Whoa. tell you, like, I don't, I don't think any of us could say, um, no. this is what I like the first three rounds of the tournament. I was definitely carried. Uh, I had to play against like wonky combo decks in terms of modern, uh, played boggles twice and, and some other things. And so like, they, they definitely carried me through there. Uh, and then I won like 10 matches in a row and then I struggled again at the end of day two. Um, yeah. Jen didn't lose a, a match in day two. Robert always won whenever we needed him to. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, I actually, I think like we won a lot of matches. Like we were all three of us were going to win. Yeah, we, and, just, we just did a lot of winning. Yeah. It was, there wasn't too many times where you had like the, the best feel good story where like you lose a match where your teammates win. Like that didn't happen that often. We were, we were slicing through people. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a shame you can't look it up like i can't look it up obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, i don't think we want to i, I don't well, know I think, it's, I think it's better this way yeah it's like we all had moments like that were you know good yeah there was some clutch play yeah um from all players and i don't know i don't like having played in a lot of team events now and had a very very high success rate uh i don't keep score i don't worry about it too much because like it, it feels bad when you hear about the players like you know, we would actually talk to teams, after, you know, between rounds and stuff, like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm 4-1, I'm but my team is 2-3. And you're like, well, you're kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be on your team. That's what you're telling me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, one curious question of mine is, uh, I imagine for, for these teams, a lot of teams are, are quick put together quickly. And I wonder if there is, you felt there was an edge in maybe, like, the legacy seat. Maybe people just, like, picked you know, one of their friends that had some experience with Legacy. Uh, did you feel that was the case at all where maybe, like, some Legacy players or even maybe modern players had no clue what they were doing? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't really run into very many Legacy players who, like, felt like they didn't know what was going on. Um, yeah, really, I, when I was at 01, my opponent was reading a lot of my cards. But once we got out of the 01 bracket, uh, I felt like my opponents knew what they were doing. 
But um, fortunately, they were all like mostly all playing Delver, which is a good matchup. So, and it, yeah, my draws were good too. Like I had significantly more turn two kills than I feel is like average for elves. Okay, I had to ask because obviously after walking with you guys after the tournament, you know, Brian Jembo was on a rant that uh, people were not citing out their dazes in, in the Delver mirror. So it just made me think that perhaps the general player in the legacy seat wasn't that good, Rob. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that, that doesn't really yeah, match my experience. Um, you know, I, I encountered people with cards in their deck after game one that I feel should not be there in, you know, every format. So I don't, I don't think that's particularly unique to legacy. I think Brian probably plays more legacy than other formats. So he maybe notices it a bit more. <laughs> yeah. He's also more vocal about it. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, did you face any uh, people that you felt were like not experienced in the format and may have been forced into a specific format just to be part of a, of a team? Um, more so than I would say than the, the legacy situation. I think that most people would hunt down a legacy specialist as there tends to be lots of those around. Uh, so I felt personally that I was not playing against modern specialists. These were not players that were, um, particularly apt at understanding exactly what was going on. Maybe they knew their deck well, but they didn't really understand what they needed to do against me as much. Uh, I saw some weird sideboarding choices. Uh, I played against a lot of humans, and they had things like their Kessig Malcontents, which seems really bad because I'm killing all their creatures. I'm playing like a million removal. Um, so I think generally like, what would happen a lot is a team would get together, be like, okay, we have these good players. Oh, we have this guy who always plays Legacy. Everyone plays Standard, so that's fine. And you, we want you to play Modern. But because we're a team and we're investing in your result, we're not going to let you play that garbage mono, that, that garbage deck that you always play in modern. You have to play a tier one deck. And so a lot of people, because of that, defaulted to humans, and I think they were inexperienced with it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. I, I didn't even think about it like that. I, I really feel like that. Like, and if you look at the metagame breakdown, like you, it, traditionally, if you compare this tournament to other modern formats, there's just this... In old, in other modern tournaments, there's just this wealth of various decks. You see Merfolk and Infect and all these things that are not Tier 1. And if you look at the metagame breakdown for this tournament, they're gone. Like, and what I'm pretty sure happened is, like, teams were like, no, you want to play with us, you have to play a real deck. You know, you don't get to play your Ad Nauseam combo. You have to play a real deck. Okay, what's the best deck? The perception is humans, and so I played against humans all day. Did you have a bunch of questions about their standard choice? Um, yeah, so I, um, like we, we talked last week on the cast, like I was expecting there to be quite a, quite a bit of black-red because um, like it was 27% of, um, I can't remember whatever GP it was last week. Was it Birmingham? No, that was two weeks ago. I don't remember. Uh, it was 27%. Um, so I showed up and I mentioned Matthew Folks. He was at GP Toronto this weekend. Um, and he sat down and he was talking with his teammates about playing blue-white because blue-white was the next iteration that beat black-red. I think that's where a lot of people were heading. Like, Brad Nelson played blue-white. Um, I saw a lot of other high-level standard players, if you want to call them that, playing blue-white. And then I saw, we talked in the hallway and talked about your sideboard choice. And what is it, four Beaumonts, three Glint Sleeves? 
we did. Or is the other way around? The other way around, yeah. Okay. Anyways, and I was just like blown away that nobody else had thought about that. And uh, looking at your main, you, you had what was it? Uh, three Karn, two Chandra, or, or something. Yeah, three and three. Three and three, and just I yeah. want to know how you came to do three Karn in the main, three Chandra in the main, and then the whole like. We, we talked about it earlier, but the just seven cards in the sideboard, um, like, well, I don't know what you guys cut, but uh, how did you come to this conclusion to be so linear post-board, and did it pay off, really? Uh, so, it evolved, is what I would say, and... As we discussed more what we thought we would expect out of this tournament, um, we just started to tune it and tune it. And we, I think, correctly targeted fairly early on that when it came down to these like mid-range creature matchups and to a little less extent aggro, but especially like the black-white vehicles, the red-black uh, vehicles, mirrors, um, green-black. Like it, it often came down to sticking a threat and getting ahead on board. And the easiest way to do that was to just establish Planeswalker control or Planeswalker first. And it more often than not just took over the game. Yeah, specifically, we had this experience. I was testing Grixis Red, like you know, with Scarab Gods and stuff, and she was playing just traditional Red Black. And we'd play these games over and over, and Scarab God didn't matter, Glory Bringer didn't matter, nothing mattered. It was all about who drew more Planeswalkers, and nothing changed. We tried all those other things, but that was just a central figure. It was like it was who drew more Planeswalkers, and so we're just like, well, we're just going to run more of these Planeswalkers because they're great in mid range. They're like Karn has a ton of loyalty, so he gives aggro problems, and they're the best thing you want against control. Like, I saw yeah. that the Magic Pro Tour, they were making this tweet about, like, where do you stand on the card in red-black aggro? Like, I, I don't know. I think you're crazy if you're not running some more Planeswalkers in red-black. Like, it's, yeah. it's madness to me. But, as it stood, as the metagame stood coming out of Birmingham and in the last week before GP Toronto, that seemed to be the picture. And so what did we struggle with? Like, we just couldn't be blue-white control. Like we, So we were just like, Actually, just as it kind of ran out in the GP, we were doing very well in those matches that we targeted with our main deck built that way. And so our main deck had to be built that way to um, give concessions to the sideboard to be able to have that very linear strategy against control. And yeah, we, I mean, I, I, drew, I drew well for sure. I, like Glorybringer came to the party, the Planeswalkers came to the party, but um, it played out the way we hoped, and I only faced control three times in the Swiss, and we stuck with that plan. A lot of the um, control decks were going no creatures in the main, and maybe two Lyra post board, history of Benalia, yes or no. But like either way, there was an opportunity to just cut most of the removal, 95% of the removal, all the dead cards, and just bring in those creatures and try to get under them. And it worked. Yeah, and like what you have to keep in mind about there was kind of this rock, paper, scissors thing that began to occur between uh, mono red aggro, red black mid range, and control. And the reason the red aggro decks were beating the blue white decks was because of things like Bomac Courier, right? Like that's why they were winning. And so, well, you're playing a red deck with a lot of the same cards, you could just put them in your sideboard. Previously, if you look at like the red black decks from Birmingham, 
they're running things like Angra and Bloodfast and like just like a bunch of duress, Doom Falls, and like these awful cards. Like I looked at these sideboards <laughs> and I was like, these like I still debatable. Like, yeah, they're bad. They're bad. They're like, don't don't mess around. Like there's there's already a better answer in your colors that this other deck's playing. Like, why are you screwing around with this? And so when the format gets to be that narrow, you can make things like that. And like, yeah, it was a bit of a transformational sideboard. Um, but it's clearly demonstrably the way to beat blue white. Like this is how you do it. This other deck's doing it. It's it works. Like don't and like Bloodfast, you don't have enough time. You can't draw you can't spend that much mana to do it. And so uh once we narrowed in on that, um I felt heavily favored post board. I think so, yeah. I mean <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But she's not as quick to make a hot take as me, but she smashed them all day. <laughs> True. Yeah. No, no, it definitely sounds good. Like I think you said off cast, you went three zero against Blue White, and you beat them once game one, but only because they mulled to five. And I think the fact that you're 100 percent game two and game three against the three Blue White decks you played in the Grand Prix uh, leads me to believe that that the that game plan is probably pretty good. And Blue White wants to go forward. They're going to have to adjust. Um, just putting that out there, like your deck list is available now. People know, right? Um, maybe blue white's not as good against uh, red black as people thought. Now that they're on the next next level, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely tailored for this one tournament, and a team event is different than your regular. Right. right. And, and I think, like I asked earlier, what your personal record was because um, this big, this huge iteration on a standard deck. Uh, is completely different, right? Like, if we saw this at a normal standard Grand Prix, if there was only one deck list that did that and you guys were top four, it would be amazing, right? And, like, that's why, for a data point as a standard player, getting ready for the RPGQ, I really want to know where this deck's going, what's going on. Is Blue White not good again like it was two weeks ago? Um, and and I, I think the fact that you had such a good matchup against Blue White post board is a really good, really good. Uh, leveling for where the deck is at. Yeah, and I think the the other thing that really played into our favor was that there actually ended up just not being that much blue white in day two. Um, it just wasn't there. Like there I think the there's, breakdown, there's only three copies. There was only three copies. So our deck being so highly tuned in the main to beat the mirror was a big advantage. I think I did win most of my game ones uh, when I came up against like a, a red, black, or a white, black, or a green, black. Yeah. And I think that's like something that people need to realize about this tournament. People are going to look at the top four deck list and they're going to be like, wow, blue, white's so insane. But it, it, it might be, that might be true, but there was only three of those decks and like they were played by you know, one of the best teams in the world and, you know, the team that ended up winning, right? Like, there wasn't that much blue-white there. Or not the winners, but Oliver, Oliver Two played it and Brad Nelson played it. Yeah, like, very high-level players. On The decks aren't easy. If, you're, if you think you're just going to pick it up and you're going to win games against decks like Black, Red, and Mono Red, you know, put in your time because you're going to struggle. Andy, is there any format you want to ask about? Um, uh, not really. I just wanted to touch on, uh, the Bowmat courier on the sideboard thing. It's, it's something that I, I think is like incredibly smart. It's, it's, people are too proud to put that kind of thing in your sideboard. You think you cut it from the deck, you cut it from the main deck, you got to cut it, right? Like, cause Bowmat courier is bad in the face of all these chain whirlers. 
But what was happening is people in these decks were boarding in a bunch of four and five drops, which is playing into exactly what Blue Eye wants to do, because then it can play a game of like, all right, I'm going to deal with this right now, and I'll deal with that later, because it's going to be a couple turns from now, and it'll only affect the game maybe for a turn, and then I'll deal with it on turn six, and it's only had one turn of effect. But with cards like uh, Bowman Courier and Glint Sleep Siphoner, they're going to dominate the entire early game, and they're not going to have time to deal with all the Planeswalkers that this deck's playing. So going under is exactly the perfect answer to blue white. I, this is a nightmare for a blue white control player. This deck list, the last thing I would want to do is play against it. So I think that was very smart, and you guys did a really, really good job uh, with figuring that sideboard plan out. Remember what uh, Brad Nelson in game two when you brought that Bowmat carrier out? He was like, "Oh, like oh no, like I, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do." Like, I think it was like on. I think it was even maybe. It was like on turn my turn three or four, I was on the playing game too. And I think it was turn four because turn three, I had done the same thing. I had to, I had unfortunately had to keep like a, a land heavy hand and he tapped out for something on his turn two, passed back to me on my turn three. And like, so I cycled on my main phase cause I was trying to find a Bowmat courier. And like, so it was the same thing with turn four. He, um, I can't remember what he had tapped out for in his turn, but he passed back to me and I did it again. I like, Oh, I know what I did. I play, tried to play something, and I think he countered it. So I like immediately cycled my land again because I had one land left, and I cycled into a Bomat Courier, mm-hmm. and I put it on the battlefield, and I attacked with it, and he was like, he was like, oh, oh yeah, he like he literally made an audible <laughs> exclamation. That's, that's so sick. I can't. I cannot wait to to try this decklist with this sideboard <laughs> plan for for blue white. Uh, and elves, uh, elves is one of those decks where it's always. I always have the same feeling about it. It's like it's not necessarily the deck I'd bring to a tournament, but it's never a deck you could be like, "Oh, it's a bad idea." You're always like, "Oh, elves is pretty good. It's a pretty scary deck. It does some pretty disgusting things, and it's consistent, fast, and its plan B is very good against Delver. Like just play a bunch of guys, all right, attack, attack, attack. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's why elves is better against. Force of World decks than most other combo decks is because you have the backup plan of just beating them to death with terrible one ones. Um, if they just re- purely rely on like countering your big business spells, um, and yeah, like the metagame was very favorable for elves. Like I looked, and there were zero storm decks and zero sneak and show decks on day two, which is those are the matchups you absolutely do not want to play against with elves. Yeah, and. Yeah, I get Mardu, Mardu Pyromancer too. It's it's the best mid range deck. It's the best Jundish kind of deck right now. Super good against everything. So I think you guys kind of nailed it on three good decks. And I wanted to go back and touch on a point that you made about uh, you were talking about how people aren't going to let people play like tier two decks in modern. So that's actually one of the reasons I feel like uh, people won't. Not as much people were playing blue white. It's because black red's the best deck. So you you just like. Look at your standard player, and you're like, I know you played a bunch of standard, but like, you got to play the best deck. We're playing on a team here. You don't want to give us a, this disadvantage by not playing the best deck. And blue eye control is not an easy deck to play. So if you're like a slightly inexperienced standard player, or even just a mid-level experienced standard player, you're not going to have a good time playing blue white. But like, black reds like uh, level zero play is still significantly better than like someone playing blue white for the first time. So I think. It's another sign of like a team tournament inflating numbers in a really bizarre way where it's hard to really crack down exactly how much this data is worth. 
Yeah. And that's that's the the weird thing you got with team tournaments. Every time deck lists are posted, you're not sure whether to trust it, trust <laughs> it or not. And the the only thing I trust right now for sure is that your cyborg plan is the best cyborg plan against blue white. Thank you. Yeah, I, definitely. I think that meta games in a team tournament are vastly different. Also, like another thing to think about is like card availability, right? If my if I have my legacy buddy, he's he's not using his you know cards for for whatever and then my standard buddy is playing standard well now i have like three times the, the modern collection so i can actually play whatever i want so we can build you know this humans deck that you know can be very expensive right so card availability becomes less of an issue because you're sharing across three people presumably and we're not gonna let you play your bad deck so you're gonna get a narrower metagame this qualifies you for the team pro tour right or yes confused well um, Jen, how does it feel to, to qualify for, for the PT for the first time? Oh, man, I have to tell you, I think it actually for real sank in today because the weekend was a whirlwind. I like. Yeah, I woke up this morning feeling good. I actually sent these guys a video of me in my car just like jamming to drink. <laughs> just dancing. I was like so excited. I woke up today. I was like, that's it. Like. You know, I work full time. I have family. I have, you know, limited amount of time that I can dedicate to magic. And to actually achieve this goal means actually a lot to me. So I'm, I'm very pleased. She was so funny. <laughs> the, like, just in the event, as we started getting closer, you know, we, more wins are piling up. You're getting closer to the, those penultimate winning in, ra- win in rounds. And, like... She was, she was getting so excited, but Robert and I were, were we weren't we were just like focused. Like I think we sometimes came across as cold, and we didn't want to be. Uh, but it was just it was kind of it was fun to have uh, her because you know she's a very lively, bubbly person. Like kind of uh, giving that energy to us as we were playing. I, don't, I felt that way, and it was it was so exciting. Every round as we won, she would she would be like, and I was like, okay, we don't need to one more. Yeah, exactly that type of thing. <laughs> And yeah, it's it was really fun. Uh, I waited till we stepped away from the table before I made them both hug me though, and I, <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay, I can't embarrass them too much, but I'm, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> She's over the top. Yeah, it was great. It was really good. Oh man, it was great dynamic too. Like I think uh, actually, like the only reason that I know that I won all six of my matches on day two is because I've struggled on day two before. Like I, that's a for me, it's been a a personal goal to kind of, yeah, tighten my, you know, get a little bit better with my nerves and trying to overcome just feeling pressured. I've kind of buckled to pressure a couple of times when I've gone into day two with really good records. So that's the only reason I know that. And like, that's the only reason I was like getting excited and knowing that like, yeah, this is happening. Like, you know, we're, we're nailing it today. So it it was just a great moment. Tyler, was there any uh, difference in enjoyment? Well, obviously, besides the uh, awesome, good result between Team Limited and, and this team, Trios Constructed, do you feel you enjoy a certain format more? I mean, I, I've been pretty vocal about how I feel about Limited. I, I don't love it. Uh, if people who know me, I often make fun of people who love Limited. But I, <laughs> they're, they're very different. Um, I, modern is my favorite format. It's not particularly close. I'll play modern at any time, any day. Let's do it. Uh, team sealed, I think, 
is more skill intensive in terms of like the build in Team Sealed is it's no joke. We when Robert and I prepped for those other team tournaments, which we did really well in, like we spent weeks building sealed pools, going back and forth, and there's there's a lot of play to that. Um, whereas in, in a team constructed where you're not, uh, where it's not the shared card pool, like the unified standard type events, you, you know, you can, you pick your deck. You know, I play Pyromancer, or you play Red Black, whatever. You know, you get on Legacy. I I I think that there's a lot of enjoyment in terms of just being in a team. I don't think one's funner than the other. I think that the sealed one is probably more skill testing. Um, and you have to, like in the, in a limited one, you have to have better communication skills. Cause like in a limited, you open some great artifact, like a helm of um, obedience or whatever, the one that wins the game instantly in the new generic format. It's really fun. Um, you know, you, who gets this right. And you have to have this, this, this confrontation or so. And sometimes you have to be willing to play the bad deck, whereas in a team constructed, well, no one needs to play a bad deck. You just play whatever you think is going to be best in that, in that seat where it's limited. There's, there's give and take to all those things. And I remember in, the, uh, in Kentucky, we were sitting right across from event, the eventual winners, Sam Black and, and their team, and... They were they were arguing about what they should do in their limited decks, and we were arguing about what we should do. And it like sounded like we were arguing against each other, and everyone was yelling. And like it was, but like it was, it was just it's much harder a teamwork environment in team limited. So um, don't always just pick the best players. Like not only is Jen an excellent player, but we felt like she would be a great teammate is one of the reasons that we sought her out as someone that we could work with at times in the tournament when there needed to be criticism or critique or talking about play. Like it was really easy, handled well and maturely. And it was one of the reasons why we felt like she was ideal. It's probably why Brian's team sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it out loud <laughs> over there, but we can work on some things. <laughs> Potential, potential future co-host of First Strike. Um, <laughs> he might yell at you, though. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I'm trying to recover from that. Um, what's what's next uh, for for each of you? Is there any uh, tournament on the horizon for for any of you before the PT? Rob, Rob looks like he has one. Um, no, I'm. I'm not traveling next weekend, um, but I see that there are three Moto PTQs next weekend because it's American Long Weekend. So that's probably what I'll be doing next weekend. And then, yeah, the PT of the weekend after that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll actually get to test my theories about blue white being great that my teammates didn't want to listen to. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm probably going to play Red Black, but we'll see. I think I'm not like I don't I I don't totally disagree with you. You know that, but it actually was also in that seat where I don't know it well enough, and yeah, it could have been a disaster. I disagree. Put it on the record. <laughs> Red Black greater than Blue White. No problem. Let's do it. Um, I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is we were planning to be an RPTQ team as well. 
we had kind of one of the conditions we when we talked to Jen, we're like, we'd like you to team with us, but we want you to team for the team Grand Prix and for the RPTQ as well, because you know, we want to build team synergy, Robert, and I feel like that's really important. But now that weekend's free, and there's a Grand Prix in Pittsburgh, I believe, which I'm thinking about because now this is giving me more pro points, and I might start chasing some levels, and there's some incentives here now that weren't there a little while ago and I have another weekend free. So I don't know. I've, I've been seriously considering, I know I haven't talked to you guys, but I, I think <laughs> I might go to Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh's, a, Pittsburgh's a hike for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I do work for an airline. So oh. uh, oh. as does most of Alberta now. <laughs> so okay. everyone, all the grinders have decided that's the way to go. And so, we all kind of started working for airlines so we can fly all over and it's mutually benefited our community quite a bit. Um, so it's no different than Toronto. We'll put it that way. All right. Well, yeah, I, we wanted to go to Pittsburgh, but it's the same weekend as our, our PTQ. And exactly. uh, Pittsburgh's like a four hour drive from where I live and just can't attend unless I want to go to Montreal. And I'm not about to drive to Montreal to play an RPTQ and then drive to Pittsburgh the next weekend. Not on the horizons for me. So, uh, if you're on the ground, like, good for you. It's definitely tiring. I love how 10 seconds ago I was like, I don't have a lot of time to educate magic, and then I'm immediately like, let's go to Pittsburgh! <laughs> <laughs> you're actually considering going, Jen? Well, I had that weekend off for the RPTQ, so he makes a good point. <laughs> it's standard. It's also standard. Standard. You're oh, standard. the format once. Uh, yeah. All right. yeah, maybe we'll be there. You'll be, you'll be there with the trophy. Oh, yeah. We should believe in yourself. for fourth. We need to be here first. Yeah. Rob called out that you guys were going to queue for the tour, and now I'm calling out that you're going to top eight Pete, uh, Pittsburgh. So Ooh. it's really nice, too. Nice city. Yeah. <laughs> you're here first. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, w- I was going to say this for later after uh, it was just me, Derek, and Andy, but, but I'll just get. Uh, your thoughts in as well, Tyler and, and Rob, as both of you were uh, GP champions. Me and Derek, uh, during the event, we, we talked about how we felt uh, before there was this... It felt really cool and awesome to be GP champion. Uh, like you, Tyler, you started signing autographs and stuff. And then now we both think that with so many of them, it has seemed less important. And before, like, if you won the GP, you would be like the player of the month because there weren't that many of them. It's like Tyler Bloom, people would know, uh, or Robert Smith. Wow, like the some limited killer from Alberta. Like, there's even some storylines I could remember that I was hearing before I even ever talked to you guys. Now it's like, okay, like our friend Robert Anderson won the last GP Toronto. No one cares or remembers, probably. Um, would you feel that's the same way, Tyler? That there's just too many, so it feels less prestigious. Um, I think there's a lot of factors. Um, magic. Like they didn't, there wasn't coverage of this weekend, so we were there. Like that's a big thing, right? Um, a lot of people, unless we were personally updating them, you know, on Facebook or whatever in our various groups, magic groups, like no one really knew. Uh, so like that's a big thing, right? Like the them actually doing video coverage of the event generates a lot of hype. Uh, so them not doing that definitely d- diminishes it, right? Like unless you were literally at the event and. You know, when we were even playing in the top four, there's maybe 30 people on the rail watching, but they're out playing. They're the, the 
their PPTQ or, or whatever. They're doing their own thing. But without the coverage, eh, no one really cares unless you're actually playing in the match, to be honest. Uh, and you're right. There are a lot of them. And the other thing is, like, the pros win a lot of them. I don't, like, you know, Seth Manfield winning his 90th Grand Prix or whatever. Like, sure. Yeah, like, that's that's okay. Um, I think you win a Grand Prix, you become a local legend. But the, like, the, the widespread narrity is, is definitely diminished. Yeah, I, I did feel like before, like, when you and Robert won, it was more than just locally. It felt like, you know, the whole, the competitive players in Canada knew, is, mm-hmm. is my impression. Yeah. Um, did you feel that way, Rob? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. You know, I mean, how kind of valued an achievement is is based on how like how rare it is, and it's just a lot rarer now. Like there are a lot more people who have won a GP than in the past. Um, so yeah, you you you. But I, th- I mean, I think that's fine. I mean, I think a better way to judge someone's results is like how do they do like over a season, like. Are they putting up consistent results rather than, let's be honest, like there are some not great magic players who have spiked one GP. Um, So, yeah, I think in general, like not putting too much emphasis on any one individual result is a fine thing in magic. I I will say one unique thing that happened with our experience um, that I definitely noticed because uh, we had... Jen on our team as a female and you know there's Twitter went kind of they're really excited as it became known that you know Jen had top for this Grand Prix and and that was really exciting like I all of a sudden I got all these Twitter followers and all like all this hype was being generated because people were legitimately really excited right people were getting animated about there being a female in magic who was having this great success and um so we kind of, Robert and I kind of got to go along for the ride with that, with her rising star, which was an interesting dynamic that I hadn't really thought about, but definitely certainly occurred. I don't know if you had any thoughts or feelings about that. Well, I mean, obviously I'm just a Twitter star, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel that sometimes as well. And these guys know that opposite to them, I was quite happy. There was no coverage of the Grand Prix because I don't like having feature matches and that kind of stuff. So I feel that sometimes too, but I, I kind of end on or land on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> she deserves the attention even if she doesn't like it. So I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we hope you have the, uh, go, go ahead, Derek. I was going to say like, e- even now, like when I was first coming up in the magic scene, um, and watching Alexander Hayden win a couple Grand Prix was kind of insane to me, uh, like flying out to Vancouver, uh, like being in Montreal. Um, it was just ridiculous, right? Like it was sort of a pipe dream. And then um, locals started winning them. Like Rob Lombardi won it, and it was just sort of like, whoa, like a guy that I played at FNM with just won a Grand Prix is now back on the PT. And last week he was yelling at me because I don't know how to build a deck list, and he just – beat John Stern in the finals who like also had two other Grand Prix. I'm just like blown away at this. Right. And then down the line, you see like Edgar top eight, some Grand Prix, Fournier top eight, some Grand Prix. You have locals uh, just topping these Grand Prix and now they're winning them. And it's like these people that we played, like I played with forever, like Edgar won a Grand Prix. Uh, Morgan, who lives half an hour away from me, 
won a Grand Prix. Lucas Yao has now won two GP Torontos. And it's just like, yeah, the, these guys are actually just really good at Magic and should probably be winning these local Grand Prix. Um, and it's just, we're, I guess we're sort of jaded to it now. Um, that's one of the things I think about. It's like our local players are just that good. And maybe, I don't know, it's, it's not a surprise anymore. I, th- I think that the average Magic player now is more capable of winning a Grand Prix than maybe previously. I think right. the I think that the the ceiling and the floor um, there's this the, the 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 PTQ grinder type of individual. Yeah, I think the gap is a little bit closer between them and maybe the same people who are always winning. So I think like right. you can have a greater diversity of people who are capable of winning a Grand Prix. Um, yeah, it's just funny. like I just remember ten years ago, like being blown away with all these Canadian players like winning Grand Prix, and now it's like, oh yeah, played off and out with them last week. Uh, they sent me a Facebook message two days ago, and having a chat with some people who just taught Florida a Grand Prix, you know, it's nothing. Yeah, everybody topics a Grand Prix nowadays, but <laughs> it's, it's actually like a huge accomplishment. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>. uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, where can people learn more about you on social media, Jen, since you're the Twitter queen? <laughs> like so far from being the Twitter no, queen. No, <laughs> she is. Don't let her get away with this. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, I think it's Jen.Kratz. I have to maybe double check that. Um, I'm actually not on Twitter as much as I should be. But, you know, you should follow Chantal Campbell. She's actually the Twitter queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, at Jen Kratz. Alrighty, I, 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 I hate that Chantal changed her uh, her Twitter ha- handle so that like I have to keep remembering. I have to type CT first yeah. or type her last name. Change it back. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's just it's not that it's bad. It's just how the Twitter app works. It's not optimal with how it works. Uh, blame blame Twitter, but you know, you, or, or or stupid Rob. Like change it to something that it's easy to search for, not MTG anarchist. Like, boom, thumbs down. Um, Tyler, what about you? Uh, I'm just at, at Bloom Tyler, B L U M T Y L E R. Yeah, I don't, I don't tweet a ton, but uh, they're high quality. So usually, I just make fun of other people. So if you're uh, that's your jam, hit me up. I think Rob, your Twitter handle is also pretty inactive recently. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have not been doing doing too much of the Twitter recently, but again, I I pick my spots. When I got something to say, I, I say it. Um, yeah, so my my Twitter handle is uh, at Robert R C Smith. Alrighty, uh, it was a treat to have you guys on. Hopefully, we have you guys on again after, especially after the PT, after a good finish. Um, hopefully, our listeners got a little peek, got, got some of your constructed insight and a peek into your personalities to find uh, something to cheer for. Because I think that's that's what's really always needed. You, I don't feel like cheering for a random person who I know nothing about. But uh, hopefully, with your story, there's going to be a lot of people, fans on your side once you start competing at your next event. So thanks for coming on, guys. <laughs> thanks, All right, see you next round. All right, see you next time. Okay, that was. Uh, Jennifer Kratz, Tyler Bloom, Robert Smith.
Sweet for coming on. Top four of the most recent GP Toronto. Um, team Trios Constructed. And I was left with Andy and Derek for a new segment of the show called What Happened? Um, Derek, what, so what happened to your team? The debut episode of this segment. Uh, gosh, this is going to be a good segment. So our, our, uh, our, uh, our GP went pretty poorly. Um, we started out 0-2. And so my, my middle seat was Rob Anderson. He was on Jess Guy. And my legacy player was Dan McDonald. He was on uh, Grixis Delver. Um, and we just were like, yeah, we'll just play the deck, uh, like D, like D max, like, yeah, I'll just play the, the best deck in legacy. And Robert Anderson's like, I want to play jazz guy. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that deck's bad, but if you like it, you like it. And I played snake, which a lot of people were telling me not to play, but I played it anyways. Um, I think that our assessment of the metagame was definitely incorrect. Um, Robert assumed more humans. There wasn't just that many humans. His day one personal record was like one seven or something. Um, yeah. And, or like two six or something really, really bad. Um, our, our personal, like we started out O two and then rattled six off to make day two. And then we went one four on day two. And so like my personal record for snake was six, two on day one. So take that haters, but it was O five on day two. So I'm never playing this deck again. <laughs> Uh yeah. Were there um, were there specifically miscalculations on your part? So I did the same thing. I tried to do the same thing that Jen did. Was I just assumed that game one against Red Black was abysmal? Like I'm like ninety ten to win, and I tried to build my sideboard to beat them's game two and three. Um, it didn't exactly work out. Uh, like I took I took them to game three. Uh, the majority of the time I played against Red Black, which was three or four times on the weekend. But they, like, on the play, they're just so much better than I am. And uh, I think, like, it's probably just not a good matchup. And as long as Red Black's in the metagame, you can't really play a green creature deck, I don't think. Um, so, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really know going forward where I want to be in standard, which is also the issue coming into this event, because I felt the exact same way. Like, I talked to Morgan the moment after they won the event, and I was like, why did you play white-black? How did you come to this conclusion? He said, it beats red-black, it bleeds blue-white, can't beat anything else. I played red-black and blue-white all weekend. And I just, like, I, <laughs> that's the assessment I came to, but, like, I didn't win the Grand Prix, you know? So I don't, I don't know. It's, I just, I can't figure it out. So. Well, we have people <laughs> in the nation doing well with your list that you posted. Yeah, the, the deck's not bad. And, it, like, I, I'll just keep saying that. It's not bad. If you learn to play it well and you learn to sideboard correctly, you can have a 70 to 80% win percentage. The issue is if your meta game is 80% red-black, you're probably just... You're, you're, you might just never win. Um, it's nuts against blue-white post-board. It's really good against white-black pre-board and post-board. And it's good against mono-green. Um, I just can't for the life of me figure out a way to be red black and like you, you can get lucky against them post board. You get, you like, you raise your percentage. Like they have 65 over you, but I don't know. I just, uh, I can't beat it. 
<laughs> right. So don't play your deck if you're expecting a lot of red black. I just yeah. like I <laughs> like I don't know. Right. I would play blue. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Andy, what what happened? What happened? This is a very mean segment, and I don't like it. Let the record show that. But uh, <clears throat> what happened? Uh, I played uh, black-white, uh, almost identical to what Morgan played for similar reasons. And I played against a lot of green decks. And was like, black-white post-board against green decks, I think is fine, but it leans so heavy on drawing Fumigate, it's in- insane. If you don't draw it, you have a super hard time. When you do draw it, it's like a cakewalk sometimes. you just Because they don't see it coming or they have to get to the board to get ahead of your Planeswalkers. You Fumigate them and then you just take the game over. But if you don't draw the Fumigate, you, you don't win. And I didn't draw the Fumigate a couple times, and uh, it hit me pretty bad. And Kale's record with uh, Legacy was not very good, because uh, basically the first few rounds, he's like dunking on some people. He's like, oh, yeah, Grixis Delver, best deck in Legacy. And then what happened is we kept playing against these decks that are quite clearly geared to beat Grixis Delver, and we, we felt the hate pretty hard. And so he lost quite a few in a row. And Devin's deck was insane. It crushed everyone again. Kept playing against, like, Mardu Pyromancer. Didn't matter. What do you got? 12 one-mana removal spells? CNL. Still kept... Still beat it, it beat everything. I'm, I promise you, if there's a modern tournament, I will play this deck. It is the best deck in modern. Write it down. <laughs> Take. I love it. Maybe not and, so uh, hot anymore with his record. His record's insane. Yeah, not so just like six two seven one and seven zero, and in the only three events he's ever played it in, and he's beaten every kind of deck. Humans is a buy, super good matchup, and uh, the, one of my favorite things is that uh, he's so used to playing the deck now, is he'll cast postmortem lunge, and he always just says it like it's it's no big deal. He'd be like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna postmortem lunge uh, this for two. and every time the opponent's like, "What does this card do?" And so they grab it, and it's especially great in a team tournament because he like looks to the guy to his right, and goes, "What's going on? What's happening here?" <laughs> looks to the guy to his left, and goes, "What does this do? What do I do? Do I counter it? Do I kill it? Am I dead?" And uh, God, I love it. I love that deck so much. So if there's anything I've learned is that black white attacks two decks and only two decks, and crutches on Fumigate too hard. Uh, Grixis Delver does have some weaknesses, but overall is a very is still a very good deck. Obviously, for obvious reasons of that, it doesn't care about the text box on opponents' cards that much with cards like Days Force of Will and F Quick Clock, and that uh, Turbo Vizier is fantastic until people figure it out, until people know what's going on, because people tapped out a lot. There's a lot of turn two far seat go. I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> Man, I I think we've been we've been giving out the secret info, not so secret info for for more than a week now that people should be playing uh, the secret deck Turbo Counters. Uh, I'm uh, excited to see any listener uh, pick it up, crush with it, and, and let us know if that's true, or you know get completely destroyed uh, because they don't either don't know how to pilot it or any is overhyping it. But uh, I think it's have I ever <laughs> overhyped anything? <laughs> I actually don't know if you have. Yeah, I, I don't I, know if you have. Uh, you're, you're usually pretty medium. Uh, <laughs> this deck, though, 
I don't know about it. It does things to me. Okay. <laughs> All right. It sounds great. Um, Andy, I, I didn't get your thoughts uh, on, the, on the whole GP thing. I, I'm not really looking for any, because it's like, it is what it is. People are going to, they kept hosting more and more GPs because like people keep showing up. It's profitable. Mm-hmm. It's growing the game. Like it's not um, my opinion that it just feels less important than before. I mean, I don't, I, not sure how much that really matters in the grand scheme of things, but uh, if you have any take on that topic, I'd like to hear it. Like a take on like team GPs? No, of like how GPs might winning one feels oh, like okay. less awesome than before. Uh, I'm not really sure. I haven't won one in the pre KYT feels worse about it era and the post era. But uh, when I had to, when I talked to Kale about it, he he seems pretty hyped about it. So. I'm pretty sure it still matters quite a bit. I do understand your point, as as wrong as it may seem to me. Maybe it's just because you don't you don't have the fire in you anymore. You don't have have it in you, KYT. But like seeing your friend win a GP is incredible, and like you remember, you'll remember that forever, and they're gonna remember that forever. How much more of an impact do you want? I, I think I think Tyler brought up a good point though that because there were less co- there was no co- video coverage of this, and. There was some for Kale. I actually watched it. I was sweating. Um, it was like just, I remember it was like Kale, his opponent, and then like just you in the crowd. There's like nobody else. Just chairs, empty chairs, empty tables, and like a judge watching over like the last EDH match. Um, so I think Tyler helped uh, bring my point the most was like no video coverage and the fact that usually it was like just, and then Robert brought how rare it felt when there was like one major GP a month so that you had basically the rest of the month to really celebrate that win because that's all you could remember that that last gp champion whereas like we've already had birmingham like derek doesn't even remember if birmingham was two weeks ago or last week so right derek like that's yeah like i i don't know which gp was which like was there a standalone standard gp and there's been so many team gps it's like who's on these teams who are these people there's so many names popping up and yeah, no coverage definitely takes away from it. Like you're at the Grand Prix. I see these pros and I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know this guy was here this weekend. Or I didn't even know, like, are they going to DC next weekend? Are they going to the PT? Like, what are they doing here? It's, there's no background story to it. And I, I think that definitely adds a lot to it. Um, them keeping media up on who's who, who's where, what's going on. is very important for the, the competitive game. But I, like, like I said, I don't know if anything is actually like, I'm not saying it's actually that bad. I don't know. I just had this thought and I chatted with Derek at the day two of GP and we just poured our hearts out about it. But I, I don't know if there was any real point <laughs> at the end of the road. But uh, yeah, nothing matters. Everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all win a Grand Prix eventually. Oh, wait, we all die eventually. That's the same. Okay. I figured it out. Um, so upcoming upcoming uh, tournament, you're going to try red black, Andy. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I'll almost certainly immediately try it because I liked red black originally, and one of the things I was super sad about the most was cutting Bomek Courier because the card is actually incredible. It just, it didn't it wasn't as good when everyone on Magic Online was playing Chain Whirler, so like you had to cut it. But I love the idea of having it in the sideboard for all these other troll decks. It sounds like a fantastic conclusion and. I I, just, I don't want to play a control deck if I'm playing against this black red. My lord. 
And uh, the other deck I'm going to try is still going to try blue-white control or maybe dabble with Yuya's Esper list, list because, honestly, it was a little medium. But uh, control is, is really good, but at the same time, on Magic Online, when they make you play out the kill combo or the kill now, that they know that you don't play Gideon in the main deck because Brad Nelson's list uh, didn't. Holy crap, it took me like five minutes to win a game. Just in there, minus go, minus go, minus to ferry on itself, go. And while the game was locked up, my opponent just has this incentive to keep making me play. So that kind of sucked. But blue-white and this black-red list are certainly we're going to be testing because I have PPTQs coming up and Kale has the Pro Tour coming up. So practice every day for that. Yeah, I'm going to be... Uh... I'm probably going to be trying to figure out what the best three decks are in standard um, for the RPTQ. I've been seeing, like, before, maybe, like, two weeks ago, there was a couple weird linear decks that I thought were pretty good, um, but I don't know if I want to try them out. I'm still, like, I I have white-black on motor right now. I'm just not very high on it. I don't like Karn. I think the card is just not good in standard. It just always ticks up. I always get a land. They always untap, and they kill it, and I hate it. I hate every moment of it, and I don't know how people like this card. Maybe I'm just bad at magic. I don't know. Whatever. Well, one time on Magic Online, my opponent plussed Karn playing like a, a Bant Legends deck, and it revealed two, I repeat, two a Johnny Unyielding. So I died really fast. So, if so that's a- what I should be doing. I should be putting Karn in my Johnny Unyielding deck. Then I can reveal them off each other. Basically, my, my biggest point is that when you plus Karn, obviously you're going to get a land like got to be like 60% of the time or something. I, I have no clue on the real odds. Sure, sure, more. If it's more, it's more. But the thing is, when it does hit two good cards, it's backbreaking. It's like the game feels over. Because like, plus, they get the one good card you have to give them. They minus, they get the better card. And then all of a sudden, the game was taken over by a Karn. And that's why you play Karn. Yeah, I've, I've, just, I've just never seen it be good, it's, unless there's a Heart of Karen in play. And I just don't like cards that need support from other cards, or you need to run a little hot for them to be good. That's just my take on it. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just playing the card wrong, or maybe I'm not down-ticking enough, or I'm not building the decks properly, but I just really, really, really don't like the card in standard. But that's probably just me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's up next for you guys as we wrap up the show? Um, I'm going to Grand Prix Dis- DC this weekend. Uh, I'm teaming with Marcus Long, I think is how you pronounce his last name, and uh, Hunter Wilson. Wilson Hunter. What the hell? Uh, you teaming up with like people's names you don't even know? Um, it's Wilson Hunter. It's Wilson Hunter. He's almost, yeah. He's uh he's they're both American. Um I think Marcus is going to this PT and so is uh Wilson, although I'm not entirely sure about that. Um but yeah, we're gonna go to DC. Uh it's quite the drive, so I hope we at least cash. I'm pretty sure we will. Our team's pretty good. And uh yeah, that's and then RPTQ after that. And then I don't think I can't go to the I can't go to Pittsburgh, so I don't think there's any other Grand Prix on the horizon. Um, maybe I'll play some Battle Bond. 
you know, they reprinted True Name Nemesis. Got to get those foil True Names. So, yeah. Card's going to be really expensive. But yeah, other than that, it's just, just DC. Hope to see people there. If, you, if, you're, if you're listening and you're at DC, let me know what you think about the cast. I had a couple of people this weekend walk up to me and say a couple of things. It's pretty cool. So. Yeah, they said they, it's part of their usual rotation that they listen yeah. to every week. So it's pretty awesome that they recognize you, uh, a member <laughs> of uh, the season two crew. Uh, Andy, what about you? What's up for, for you? Uh, it's actually going to be pretty busy for me. So this weekend I have two PPTQs. The weekend after I have one, but it's also the Pro Tour, I think. And then the then there's Pittsburgh, then an RPTQ, and then Nationals. So like... I have a pretty crammed schedule for, for magic coming up and then, then hopefully it'll chill out a little bit so I can, uh, I don't know, relax off the grind. I played like 12 hours of magic a day for a lot, like almost two full weeks before GP Toronto. And I had similar findings to Derek and standard is that I I couldn't win with anything consistently. Like I would five Oh with a deck and then I would just Oh three with it. And then one, two with it. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I hate this deck. And then I move on to a different deck. So I just pray, I pray that I find something that I like and that I will just play for more than one week in a row or perhaps two leagues in a row. Okay. Shouts to David Root for, for being in the chat. Uh, shouts to, to Brian for enjoying my, my new segment, What Happened, um, and my shots at Rob Anderson. Like, who cares like that he's a GP champion? No one cares anymore. No one cares that Rob Lombardi won. I think it's it's becoming uh, less and less meaningful. Um, I mean, there you you also alluded to. I mean, you brought up the the run that Hain had with Sphinx's Rev when he won multiple tournaments with that, and it just felt like he was the only one uh, to crush with that card. So I think it was easier to build like a crazier narrative than than now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a jerk. Go <laughs> to chat. Shoutouts uh, to the First Strike Nation. Shoutouts to the First Strike producer, producers, Jonathan Good, Cal Smirchick, Jay Thomas Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, and Adrian Murchison. You make the show possible. Uh, a topic that uh, I think Aaron Barrett brought in the chat in the world of streaming. The industry is more saturated. That's true. I, I think I want to address a question I get a lot about our F2F series is like, why isn't why aren't they streamed? But I mean, the issue with but that is if there's an SEG or a GP being streamed, there really is no point to invest a lot of dollars just to have less than ten people watch it. Even though it might be good, even though there's you know those ten people might really appreciate it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, the same reason as you know why good shows get canceled. Like if they don't get enough viewers it doesn't matter the quality of the show doesn't really matter uh to the select to the small group of people who appreciate the show so like that i don't think we will see uh streaming for the ftf series anytime soon because i don't i don't really think it makes sense at all actually so unless like there's just this influx of people begging for to see canadians compete against one each against each other and maybe there might be someday but not currently um, if I have to plug the first strike nation to join, go to patreon.com slash first strike, um, a dollar. If you know, every listener donated a dollar, that'd be sweet. Uh, but we also 
developed this first strike nation thing where if you donated ten dollars you'd be into that and we try to to give these people some exclusive content uh whether it be a uh travis uh, sours helped us make a dominaria uh sealed course like a four-part series uh derek came out with an excellent uh primer on green black constrictor but apparently don't play that if uh black red aggro <laughs> is in your meta game but uh, exclusively for nation he goes through every single matchup and uh i don't want to be those people that like hype the extra stuff we do it's just really extra stuff because we really want to thank our uh supporters it's nothing like uh, it's the best course out there or whatever type of hype but it's some really good stuff from Derek and uh you know we just really want to thank our nation members with some sweet content and we'll continue to do so um I guess we'll end the show with a little bit about my Vegas Knights bet. If they win the finals, I'm going to talk two minutes about it because a lot, a lot, it's going to be like Twitter followers uh, because Pascal Maynard uh, tweeted about it. And then I get magic players that uh, follow me just specifically for the Vegas night thing, not because of first strike pod, but I had, uh, when I was at GP Vegas last year, I made a $200 bet uh, for 200 to one on the Vegas Knights winning the cup. And it wasn't like crazy thing. Some people think it's just some bananas thing I decided to do because like I saw 200 to one, Hey, let's just throw a lottery ticket at that. It, it didn't happen like that. Uh, basically I, I had a nice poker session. I also like, I did really well and just wanted to pick a team, but I actually looked at the team Vegas could possibly have, thought they were a playoff team, so decided to go with it and felt like if they did end up making the playoffs, I could just hedge and make a small little profit or whatnot. But now it's like gone into a life of its own with them making the finals and uh, like people are calling me up for TV short like news appearances and, and radio shows. It's kind of, It's kind of weird, but uh, people are super excited about it. But me, I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's just... I just, I was just there. I just, so not too bad. <laughs> the GP champion of sports bets. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's it for this show. And we will see you next Monday. And I will be spoiling our Battle Bond preview card this Thursday on the website somehow, some way. So keep your eyes on matterdeprived.com or any of our Twitter accounts. So see you guys next time.